Go, New York! Go, New York! Go! Oh, my God, was the Garden rocking on Wednesday night. The Knicks beat the Hawks 101-92 to even up the series at one and head down to Atlanta for games three and four. We will discuss the first two games of the series, the atmosphere at MSG, and look ahead to the pivotal game three and four coming up in Atlanta. We'll be joined by Knicks superfan that can tell us more about that Garden vibe. That would be Anthony Donahue, of course, and he does some stuff for MSG, so you're familiar with him. Wave those black towels and get your defense! defense get those chants ready we got a playoff edition of big apple buckets coming at you next from the new york post Big Apple Buckets is back. New York, we here. It's a special Thursday post-game two playoff edition of our New York Knicks podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Sal Licata, alongside my co-host, former Knicks big man, JYD, Jerome the Junkyard Dog Williams. you also hear from our producer, Jake Brown, as he lets us know what that garden atmosphere was like for games one and two. He was on hand with the raucous atmosphere there. You could follow the entire crew on Twitter for podcast updates at Sal underscore Licata, at Junkyard Dog JW, and at Jake Brown Radio. Also, you could go in Apple Podcasts now and please give us a five star rating and write a nice review. A positive review would be helpful. We'll have Nick Superfan Anthony Donahue who's going to join us a little bit later in the show. But JYD, here we are. Two games up, two games down. The Knicks unfortunately dropped game one. But boy, last night at the Garden, another raucous crowd, and the Knicks get back to playing some of the basketball that they did the main part of this regular season and really it took them a game and a half to get going but I thought Randall who hit that three to start the second half that was the biggest shot of the game just setting the tone as far as the Knicks not going away and they did what they did all year long battle back fight claw and get their first win of the postseason. Sal the MSG atmosphere was earthquake heaven it was rocking when the buckets were coming and they were falling in numbers in the second half you could just feel the shake coming through the screen you know i had to i had to watch it from the las vegas desert but guess what the knicks were back they did what they had to do derrick rose man that dude he just came alive he just gave us a a glimpse of the old d rose as an older version but yeah it all started with that julius randolph three at the start of the second half because they just needed that punch. And I think that first shot kind of, he, you saw his shoulders go back and I was like, okay, I I can feel a little bit of rhythm right here. He, he's like shaking it off. Like, man, something got to start falling. (laughs) And I think we got to start with the atmosphere and we'll get producer Jake here in a second, but JYD from a player's perspective, because I think it's had both a positive and negative influence. You could tell right from game one, the place was insane. I mean, it gave me goosebumps, even thinking about it, goosebumps throughout the course of game one, throughout the course of game two, but you also saw a young team kind of struggle with that a little bit. And mainly Julius Randle, you mentioned D Rose, he's a beast and he's a veteran and you would expect that he thrived so actually some of the rookies we'll get into quickly in game one or it will be topping in game two they kind of felt the atmosphere and they those guys were playing excelled in that atmosphere however Randall their star player you can see it was almost like he's thinking he's trying to do too much please the crowd maybe have one of those garden roar moments take me through the thoughts as a former player who played in the garden what it's like to play in that type of atmosphere and that type of pressure especially for a young guy You know what? It's a different type of pressure because you're just not used to that level of energy from fans. 
at the start of games. We got to understand when the playoffs come, the fans of the teams are on an all time high and they come into the arena. They come into MSG excited. They don't have to build up and it's a do or die situation. So the fans are hanging on to every possession and that's not normal. That's, you know, normally fans might start getting a little excited after second half. They've had a few beers, you know, they, they're starting <laughs> to get loose. No, they're coming into <laughs> the garden loose. They coming in there lit. They're like, yo, it's time. We, we're partying on the first bucket. And for a player, that's like, you know, whoa, whoa, this is different. And sometimes, like you said, to your point, for a player that has not been in that type of atmosphere, that hasn't played the playoffs, who doesn't know what the contact is like, what, you know, what the reps are not going to give up as far as foul. It's a whole different atmosphere. So this is a process. I can attest, JYD, to you saying uh, as soon as you get in, before you're in the building, I mean, for the National Anthem, and the, the F. Trey Young chant started before tip-off even happened. I mean, they were ready. Trey Young's balding was the chant. As a baldy myself, I love that chant because I had a time where I was balding and chose to go bald. So, Trey Young, you should do the same. From every three-pointer at the Garden, the people rise when they attempt the three. As soon as they get in the form to shoot it, everyone goes to their feet. So if you have a phone, a drink, food in your lap, don't. I made sure game one, I had, of course, my prime rib, my fat ass, and I had to wait till the timeouts to eat it because you stand and up. And it is a workout going to the playoffs because you were going up and down. And in the fourth quarter, everyone was standing. It was something out of a movie. And you said it shaked. It literally shook. And I had to look down and make sure it wasn't my belly from the New York Pizza Suprema I ate before the game. I thought my stomach was shaking, but it was the actual arena that was shaking. And you guys saw the videos from after the game. I mean, the pandemonium. I mean, listen, it's they won one playoff game. It felt like they won the title if you looked outside the garden. But th that's how long the fans have been craving for this moment. And they finally got it. And Sunday in game one, it kind of felt like they won because that's it was so crazy. And people were just happy to be there. They almost forgot that they lost that winning game two and having a second half comeback as it got quiet going into halftime when everyone's getting their double shots of, of Tito's and Cranberry, like me. You felt it kind of die down and then came back to life and it led it to an epic post-game uh, after party. Yeah, they had to come get the jungle juice. They had to go go to halftime, get recharged. They say, listen, this is time. We got to bring it in the second half. Yeah, one thing that bothered me about the crowd, and you, you know, look, it, it, it was raucous. There's no question about it. But you mentioned, Producer Jake, the F. Trey Young stuff. I didn't get that. Why would they do that to start? This is not Reggie Miller. This is not Mike uh, Jordan, why are you challenging this guy for no reason? Trey Young is irrelevant. After the series, maybe during the series, maybe game five. You know, if Trey Young torches him in three games, you know, four games leading up to game five, I could understand it. But to start right off the jump like that, I thought that that got Trey Young going. And you know what? The Knicks fan at the end of it, Trey Young was the one who was saying, "You know what? You be quiet. F you, New York." And that, that bothered. Me. He said, "I'll see you in the A." He ended it with, which I'm like, bro, just sit down. You lost the game. I get what you're saying, but this is New York. When you talk smack on a new yorker you get in the smack talk right back in your in your face they started it in game one that's the problem i had not game two the game two stuff i could understand because i even i hated trey young after game one but why would the why would that be the first chant that the garden crowd is spewing toward him not only is the you know obscenity not really necessary but the vitriol toward trey young, trey young what has trey young done to do that reggie miller those teams battled the heat battled the bulls used to battle which are what has trey young done yet and now at the end of the series it might be different 
spectrum, but I thought that was a little rough from you know, probably your fellow millennial fans there, producer JK. Did you start that chant? The no, no, I would love the Trey Young balding. And people, <laughs> Hawks fans were replying on Twitter like, this guy turned the camera and he's bald. I'm like, well, that's the whole joke is that I'm already bald and chose to go that route. That actually is funny. And I think maybe that affected him. You notice, though, when Trey Young did sit is when the game turned around late in the third quarter. Like the Knicks took advantage and maybe Nate McMillan's strategy wasn't the best there because once he sat for a pretty good period of time, he didn't come back, I think, until like 7.30 left in the fourth quarter. The Knicks had already at that point, I think, took a 10-point lead. I mean, they got out in front. So the strategy has sent him to the bench. He's getting every freaking foul call. And you know why? People hate that. Knicks fans hate it. That call that should have been a jump ball and they called a foul where the Knicks tied him up. This guy gets every freaking call and it is so frustrating to watch when the Knicks are fighting for calls and Trey Young you touch him and he gets a foul and I know that's new school NBA but come on they got to ease up with these calls on the little guy JYD how, how about the thought of um you know because I know a lot of people make it a focal point Trey Young because he's going to be their top score right we know that he's going to get his and everybody say oh you got to stop Trey and got to stop Trey Young my thought is well he's going to get his anyway stop the other guys what would your philosophy be how would you handle Trey Young because can he really be stopped regardless of who you put on him regardless of how you defend him to me it doesn't seem like he can be stopped so i'd make a point to make sure you get out on the perimeter and not allow so many open threes which they have it's fortunate gallinari's been missing him and bogdanovich missed a bunch in game two but how would you jyd handle dealing with trey young yeah i looked at it the you know the entire game the scheme definitely second game change you know tibbs definitely put an emphasis on keeping the ball out of his right hand as much as possible making sure that if he did you know, make drives to the basket. He had to go left first. And then if he's able to, you know, get inside and other means, that's what the game plan was. I agreed with that game plan. It was entirely too much letting him go right in game one. I mean, that last play, you know, you have to, as an NBA player, game plans in the playoffs are like, they're like dialed in. You have to follow the game plan. And number one game plan against Trey Young is if he's going to give us 40, he's going to give us 40 going to his left. Right. And all the great players, yeah. I mean, from Mike, Kobe, every, everybody has somewhat of a weakness, except for those two players I just named. <laughs> they can go left, right, backwards, forwards, blindfolded. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but the rest of the NBA and the rest of the guys, they have a strong, strong tendency. And if you can get them out of that tendency, it's going to be better for your team, even if they score 30. Because even though he scored 30, you know, he had to do it going opposite to where he wants to go. So the comfortableness of like he was giving up passes, you know, when they kept forcing him because he, you know, mentally you have to work through that as a player. And yes, any player can. But at the same time, it does like affect your team. So not so much his game, because you say, well, JY, he scored 30. Yeah, he did. But you don't know how many times he did not create going to his right for someone else, drawing the defense, going to his right, creating for a teammate for an open look. So those are the kind of things that, you know, in the in the in the game plan that I really liked. Because I was like, yeah, if they do this way, they have a far better chance of winning. Well, early on, they were trapping him, right, guys? Like, I felt in the first yes. quarter, they trapped him, and they were doubling him, and then they just went away from that. Yes, and that's part of the scheme. Like, you have to change throughout the course of the game. You can't just 
keep it all the same because what? The players are going to adjust. The team's going to adjust. The coaches on the other side are going to adjust. So they're going to say, after the first trap, this is what we used with Grant Hill back in my days with the Pistons and Vince Carter. Like they would get trapped, right? And the point was, after they got trapped, there was a play for after they got trapped. So rest assured, that's not the end of it all. That's just the beginning. And all the great coaches make these kind of adjustments. So I can understand why they moved away from it because you want to keep the player guessing because those valuable seconds of trap, 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 a player getting trapped. And he's like, dang, every time I get trapped, I got to do this. Do then, then we go to this. Well, then when you don't know it's coming, then you're like, are we in after trap mode? Like it's a nice little, you know, like a boxer. You got to jab him, throw him with a hook back up. Like, oh, what is it? what's coming? What's coming? He's got his hands up. He don't know. So, yeah. And the Hawks didn't get much help or Trey Young didn't get much help from his fellow Hawk teammates. I thought one of the bigger plays, I mentioned the Randall three to start the second half individually as a shot for the Knicks having significant impact. Well, John Collins getting in early foul trouble. That changed the entire game. To me, Collins is their second most dangerous player. And he was relegated to a non-factor. He played 15 minutes and unimpactful after getting in early foul trouble. You had Bogdanovich who started out hot and he went cold. Gallinari can't buy one. One thing I'll say about the Knicks, although we know the the plan specifically in the second half was better defensively I mean Gallinari is shooting wide open shots now he stinks and he hasn't been able to make one it seems but they have to be able to defend the three better that's been a pattern all year where they've been a little fortunate leaving guys open from three and you don't want to continue to give those looks because while the Knicks may improve and let's say Randall and we I think expect him now to to at some point turn into what he did in the regular season and get back to being that impactful player RJ Barrett too think about it the Knicks through two games here they haven't had any uh, top performances from Randall or Barrett, their two best players. So let's say those guys pick it up. But on the other end, if they continue to leave the Hawks open from three, maybe Bogdanovich, maybe Gallinari actually hits a couple. Lou Williams, same thing. Williams didn't have a good game in game two. Those are the guys, to me, Collins definitely, if he stays out of foul trouble, those are the guys that can cause problems because you know Young's getting his points. So it's about how are they going to defend the others. Now, we mentioned it. Obi Toppin gave some good minutes. It was nice to see. Emmanuel quickly more so in game one gave some solid minutes struggled a little bit in game two and we always mention too it's either Burks or Bullock and if you ever get both forget it but game one they had Burks performing which kept them in the game which got them in the game he was their one guy and then last night in game two JYD Reggie Bullock getting it done from downtown so again it was the role players and maybe the unsung heroes that helped the Knicks come back from down 13 to the half to to get that win absolutely the bench has been you know fantastic and it doesn't it starts with Derrick Rose I mean you you got a perennial NBA all-star coming off your bench former MVP getting it done he's dog pound approved and when you have guys like Alec Burke and you know um, also coming off the bench you always have that second punch that's ready to happen I think Obi Toppin did a great job I think he's bringing a lot of energy to the garden after those thunderous dunks it was like thunder you could see Obi Toppin's mother's crying in the stands she's got so much emotion because her son's name is being chanted and they can hear it down on you know park avenue that's how loud the garden was shaking and those are the kinds of things that's that energy level that's just unreal i mean god bless these other cities like utah and and, and places like that <laughs> you know you you're going from a nick game to utah jazz versus they ain't got Memphis nothing Grizzlies. on us i'm like whoa <laughs> what is what is this <laughs> I'm like, man, but that's the part that players, when you retire, that's what you miss. You miss that because if you ever had that, there's like no mistaking it. There's no rival. Shaq was on TV talking about LA. I'm like, no, Shaq. 
No. Yes. Yeah, stop. Good luck. <laughs> not even close. Stop yeah. it, big fella. I mean, no, there's no rival. And what he needs to understand as well, those people up north in Canada, they have a similar type atmosphere. It's just not that thuggery. You know, they don't have the thugness. They don't have that culture. You know, they're that, too nice. That, yeah, they're too nice. It still can't compete. But from a player standpoint, I can tell that, you know, Julius is trying to get used to it. He's trying to work himself like being able to let that fuel him. And I and I can see the struggle because he wants it to happen, like Jake said, so bad that it's sort of like, no, 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 just relax. You got to relax your way through it because it's going to be there the whole night. They'll get excited from a defensive play. You bring up a great point. Let me tell you something. If the Knicks are 21 and four when their opponent scores under 100 points. So it starts with defense rebounding. It starts with getting those stops. And if they're able to keep, and this is throughout the playoffs, I don't care who they play, be Brooklyn Nets. If they're able to keep those teams at below 100, they have a far better chance. You know, statistics are what they are. And Tibbs is that type of coach. So, you know, this is how they fuel their offense. One thing that I do notice is that Julius Randle has to going downhill more. He's got to put more pressure on on that Atlanta Hawks defense. There's a lot to unpack there. One, did not think thuggery was going to be mentioned here in the first <laughs> segment of Big Owl Buckets, but I love it. Two, Randall also got the most improved player award with his son. Adorable moment for the game. Seemed like there was a lot of pressure on him. I think going to Atlanta could be a good thing for him, where like we talked about last week, it'll probably be 50-50. It's going to be a lot of Knicks fans there, maybe 60-40 Hawks to Knicks fans. Ben Brown, my brother, will be there. The Browns are making their presence felt in Atlanta and New York at this series. Reggie Bullock, when he scores 15, guys, it feels like 40. Yeah. Because he makes five threes and lights up the building. And like you said, dunks and threes are MSG staples. Like, the place rocked the most when he hit the three and when Obi threw down the dunk. Nothing lights up the garden. So those were two monster moments. But every time Bullock scores 15, it feels like a whole lot more just because of the magnitude of those shots. And Obi Toppin is showing himself here. He had a, big, a couple of big moments in game one and game two. And you don't look at the stat sheet, really. It's those electric moments that you look at because he might have only had whatever it was, eight points. Again, eight points of major magnitude earthquake level Madison Square Garden eight points and, and, and impactful 12 minutes I mean and that's something that we haven't seen from him his rookie season he played like a rookie he got limited opportunity he started the season you know with the injury to the calf and never really recovered I thought he would be an impactful rookie right out the gate but really that was Emmanuel quickly but Obi Toppin we talk about Randall trying to do too much it's easy to say well just treat it like any other game but then you actually step on the floor and you know you get 20,000 people whatever the capacity of 15,000 people going insane going nuts you want to please those people you want to hear that roar based on something you do so hard to treat it like any other game but Obi Toppin clearly was thriving in that atmosphere and gave you a solid 12 minutes at a time where they needed it it's not like Randall is scoring his 30 whatever points and playing his top game so they needed it from Obi Toppin one thing I hate to admit but this is true anytime Reggie Bullock hits a three you know what I'm thinking of I'm thinking of producer Jake's freaking line in that yeah. rap song <laughs> three point I- goal Reggie Bullock and- I was there doing that. I was saying that last night every time he did it. I was trying to do it. I had no voice left, and I'm hungover as hell right now. I was saying, three-point go, Reggie Bullock. Yeah, it's uh, so funny. I'll say this. The one uh, biggest concern I have as we look ahead now to Atlanta game three on Friday, 7 o'clock game four Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, uh, the biggest challenge the Knicks may have is is not falling asleep. I mean, that is going to be such a letdown. JYD, how about that now? Going from that raucous atmosphere to Atlanta, where you know it may be you know a larger crowd than normal and there may be a bunch of nick fans in there as we know jake's brother but i mean 
that's got to be a letdown with the lack of energy to match what it was at MSG for games one and two. Well, no, I kind of like look at it in reverse as a player, right? You're trained to kind of like make the adjustments home and away, home and away. But the one thing that I can say about this scenario, when you're a New York Knicks going to another atmosphere, you're just sitting there saying, this isn't as loud as it is for us. It does give you a different sense of, I guess, calmness, if I if I, if I were to put a word around it, because you're not under the same light of pressure. One thing about playoff games, you don't have a series until someone steals home court. So Atlanta, they obviously stole home court. Now the Knicks have to steal it back, and they need one game to do it. So you got to make sure that you get that one game. And if not, you're going to have to battle throughout the rest of the playoffs. So the key here is I don't think it's going to have, I mean, I I know it's not going to have the same level of energy and you're going to have New York Knicks fans in Atlanta. So, <laughs> I mean, that that's another something that they're going to have to deal with, like hearing two sets of chance. And, you know, typically, you know, the home team has to battle back and forth, but they typically going to have more fans than the home away team. So at the end of the day, I think Julius Randle gets his mojo back because it is a different atmosphere. And then coming back home to the garden should should give him that uh, extra oomph that he needs. Right. It's great that they got those two games now under their belt and they were able to salvage that second game because now they could relax a little bit, go to Atlanta where it's not going to be a hostile environment. And we'll see what type of atmosphere it is as far as how many, you know, Nick fans are there, but whatever, it's not going to be that pressure of the garden. So they can maybe relax and then go see what they could do in Atlanta. And then by the time they return, you'd hope that they're like, okay, we have four playoff games under our belt. We kind of know now the difference still learn as you go here and you hope to go deep in the postseason but you're still learning as you go but by the time they return home for game five I would expect that everybody is relaxed a little bit and more so then looking forward to it as opposed to thinking hey what the hell is this going to be like I have no idea game five they already know what to expect when they return home so it's going to be fun watching and this is the best part about these playoff series as a fan think about it it's only the fifth time in the last 20 seasons that Knicks fans have had an opportunity to enjoy these playoff series and this time it's legitimate unlike the times you know in, in 2010 or 11 or whatever when they were getting swept out of the playoffs this team plays defense they're the four seed so they're favored or and should be expected to win this series i know most people in new york do expect them to win this series this is fun first two games at home raucous crowd all right let's relax go get them friday night in atlanta and, and keep this series going here and hopefully can return home up three games to one which by the way i would not be shocked if that's the case all due respect to atlanta i still think the knicks are just a better team in the way that they play from start to finish of a game once they start playing their game is better than atlanta Sal, you envisioned me when the Reggie Bullock threes. I envisioned you when they did go New York, go New yeah. York, go. Little Sal watching John Starks in 98, 99, whatever it was. And they 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 silenced it when the, so the crowd could fill the blank. It was go New York. And I post-tweeted the video. And God, it, it felt like the 90s. And I definitely thought of you and all the Knicks fans that were there in the playoffs way back then when they were winning playoff games. I'll tell you, that was it gives me goosebumps You know, hearing you say that and thinking back to it. That was probably my favorite part where you hear, you know, the timeout, somebody hits a big three, timeout, timeout, uh, Atlanta, whatever. And then they're walking off the court. You hear that that Knicks song get going. And you're we right. New York Knicks. Yeah, <laughs> the drums hit. <laughs> and then, then all of a sudden, they pause it. The crowd, go, New York, go. That gives me goosebumps, man, because that brings me back. That was okay, really okay, 90s. Well, while moment. you guys are having your 80s moment, okay, I'm going <laughs> to take you back to the 2000s. We had Swiss beats. And you know what I hear in my head? I hear the New York Knicks are in town. 
town. It's about to go down. I don't remember that, that one. That's, that's <laughs> what I hear in my head. Oh, man, that, that song right there, that used to get me hyped. That was Swizzy. <laughs> well, it's better than that than you saying the Taylor Swift Welcome to New York song. No. I'd rather you say Swizz Beats instead of that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Go New York, Go New York song was iconic in those, you know, early 90s. So 93, 94, I forget when it came out. But that was, I mean, you would see that during the playoffs all the time. So it was nice to have a little bit of a throwback uh, at the Garden. Boy, was that place incredible. I, I wish I went. That's the only regret that I have of these first two games. I mean, obviously, I'd like to see the Knicks win both, but... Sal, go to game five. Another, get an unvaxxed ticket. Go yourself if you got it. You meet up with me. I'll buy you a drink. I'll buy yeah. you a prime rib. We need Sal in the building. We need it, Sal. I'm going to go. I'm going to save it. I'm going to try to go get shot this week so I don't have any issues. And then by series, uh, by round two, uh, hopefully when the Knicks take on the Sixers in round two, uh, maybe I'll be ready to get out there. What's what's our predictions here for Atlanta? Well, by the way, kudos to JYD who said Alfred Payton would get a game and a half, and he did. He did not come out in the second half. So a good predict, another good prediction by JYD, what's your guys' predictions for Atlanta? Is this going back 3-1, 2-2, or 3-1 Hawks? 2-2. I think the Knicks are going to win both here. I, I wow. just Yeah, because they haven't even played their game yet. Imagine Randall and Barrett actually doing what we expected them to do from the start. I know the defense isn't going anywhere. That's going to be consistent. Look, Atlanta's going to be tough. I'm not saying it's going to be blowouts by any stretch, and I do think you're going to have Gallinari start knocking down some shots. Lou Williams, a factor. John Collins going to be a problem in at least one of these games here. At the end of it i think the knicks find a way to come back up three games to one now i do think they're winning in six i gotta stick to that because i said that now how they get there who knows but i just feel like right now it's a possibility maybe the knicks end it in five the way that i know that they're capable of playing and i just don't like the style of atlanta they should shot 44 threes they played lazy basketball if the knicks do what they're supposed to do they will win here and i I just get the feeling that maybe they're going to be on a little bit of a streak where maybe uh they can wrap it up in game five when they return home i think it's going to be two two but god i hope you're right if it's three one game five at the garden god my cholesterol is already too high my (laughs) my blood pressure is too high there's too much salami going in my mouth i think i might die if they won game five it would be i'd go down on top Knicks go to the second round and i'm dead i don't know if my heart i had heart palpitations last night and thank god they gave out the black towels by the way the black towels electric but it became the black sweat towels because i was drenched and needed a shower and everyone because they packed these section everyone around me smelled and was sweaty so game three they got to <laughs> give out cologne axe something because we all stunk up the place last night and even in the in the staircases too they packed us in like sardines so there are a lot of smelly people <laughs> so uh be careful with the, the heart, heart palpitations of game five yeah hey I make won't. sure you got that defibrillator in your backpack defibrillator <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And some and some Febreze, you know, hit him with it. Yeah. Uh, with all of a sudden, going to the garden is not that appealing. I want to sit in the non-stank section if we <laughs> get out there at MSG for game five. I but- found out, by the way, those unvaxxed sections also are family members. So it's unvaxxed and family members because they don't want, you know, if Randall's bad and he's he got his wife there, they don't want uh, hooligans shouting things at the wife or anything. So smart move there to have unvaxxed with the family. Yeah, it's look, it, it, either way, it's been an incredible crowd. And like I said, I don't know what it is. I just, you know, the style of play with the Hawks, I know it sounds nuts to say, oh, the Knicks are going to go in there and win two. I really do believe that the Knicks could now reel off three straight here and four straight to top it up. But we'll see how it goes out there. Either way, you'd be happy with the split and return home to the Garden at 2-2 as uh, they get set now to go to Atlanta Friday night, as we said, game four Sunday, game five back at MSG Wednesday, June 2nd, and then the rest, if necessary, Friday, Sunday again. So we had a little Friday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, depending on how long this series goes. Coming up next, we're going to talk to long time 
longtime diehard Nick fan. He was in the building like producer Jake, Anthony Donahue, and get his thoughts on the Knicks being back in the postseason. First playoff win in eight years. Why not talk to Knicks superfan Anthony Donahue? He'll join us on the other side. So, of course, the Knicks back in the postseason. First playoff win in eight years. Why not talk to Knicks superfan Anthony Donahue and get the feel from him? And I'll tell you one thing, Ant. I grew up, you know, like you were living through the 90s and those great teams. But the one thing that you did that I didn't is you stayed with it for 20 years. How you stayed through with that garbage for the last 20 years, I give you a ton of credit for. But you're at every game, the season tickets, the jerseys all over the place, MSG show, uh, you know, you're all over the commercials for the garden and you know been a long time super fan here it's got to be great to see the knicks back in the postseason and the raucous atmosphere at madison square garden were you there for games one and two oh yeah i mean first off guys thanks for having me on the show i really appreciate it and of course i mean don't get me wrong it was really hard the last 20 years i mean i still went to most of the home games but there was times you know let's say it's like the middle of march the knicks are on the road you're 30 games under 500 and i'm like I'm not watching tonight. And maybe you go out to dinner. Maybe you go hang out with some friends. You know, there was definitely a lot of games, the home games the last 20 years where you get there and you don't even watch the game. Like you just socialize. You go hang out in the Delta Club. You go hang out in the play-by-play back in the day. You just go to hang out because the Garden is a great place to hang. Hey, Andy, hold on, man. As a yeah. super fan, is that even allowed? Are yeah, you allowed no. to do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, bro. No, JYD, you haven't seen the big sizes of shrimp they have at the Delta no, I'm Club. Talking, is... I'm talking about, you know, middle of March, 30 games under 500. You can walk away from the game for a few minutes and go have some food at the Delta Lounge. That's totally allowed because you're still there. You know what I'm saying? Because I was still making my effort there. I'm supposed to be in the stands waving the towel when we are like down and out because that's what super fans do. Oh, man. I do that. Oh, that one on. shrimp that you no, could throw it in the towel, not in waving the, the towel. The Knicks the, are throwing <laughs> when you're 30 games under 500, it's the middle of March. You're down 40 points. You are allowed to go get shrimp. <laughs> <You're allowed. laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right, bro. I'll let you. I'll let you. Just you you are allowed to get that shrimp. <laughs> Yeah, you, I mean, come on. What are you, you kidding might me? need that shrimp down 40. Oh, man. You, go to those games, you, you pay for those tickets. You could eat as much as you would do whatever you want to do because you can't watch that garbage that was out on the court. But obviously now, you know, the sweet reward, Ant, is when you get to a point where you have this team. This is the hope that you're, you're trying to find. We've been chasing this for so long, trying to find a team that plays defense like they did in the 90s, that gets back to the postseason, gives us that series. And now, even more so than just that, the future is bright. But this year, I, I've been saying this, and I'd be curious to get your take as somebody who's actually really been involved for a long time here as a fan never really left this is one of the more fun seasons I could ever remember as a Nick fan this I can compare this to some of the seasons in the 90s that I grew up watching and loving that's how fun this season has been for me how about your thoughts on the season overall from this 2021 Knicks team oh definitely it's one of my favorite Nick teams of all time and of course it was unexpected you look at those teams in the 90s as good as they were Every year in October, you know, they're picked to be a top team in the East. So there's pressure all year. This year, you were hoping maybe the Knicks can play important games in the spring. Maybe they'll get a 10 seed so they can play in one of the playing games. So this is so unexpected. And all of a sudden, it's the last week of the regular season, and you are competing for home court advantage, which they ended up getting in the first round of the playoffs. So that's what makes it more fun because it was so unexpected, and this team is young. It's so likable. Now, I'm a Knicks fan that grew up in the 90s, just like you, Sal. 
um, Jake a little bit. He's a little younger. So I was actually telling Leon Rose this a few weeks ago. I said there was only two coaches you could have hired that I would have got excited about as a fan because Lord knows I have seen so many damn coaches hired. So ain't no coach was going to get me excited. And those two names were if you brought back Jeff Van Gundy, which probably wasn't going to happen, or you hired Tom Thibodeau because Tibbs was on those benches back in the day. And I just love Tibbs, and I do love the way he coaches. I think the media makes a big deal, the whole minutes thing. Like Derrick Rose said after the game, you know, I played two hours in practice. Y'all don't, y'all don't count that. But it's so amazing as a fan, man. Who knows how far this team can go? Just enjoy every second of this. Stop worrying about free agency. Stop worrying about the draft. It is 1-1 in the playoffs, which hasn't happened. You haven't been here in eight years. Just enjoy the hell out of this because it's awesome. Can you tell us, too, the story? Your your sister tragically passed, Gianna, and it's, win for Gianna has been the mode this year, and that's got to be extra special that they're winning right now for her. To tell our listeners kind of the backstory about that. Yeah, of course. You know, as most people know or they don't know, my, I had a little sister who was 15 years younger than me who I raised basically like a single dad. Her dad left her when she was one. Our mother had some issues, so... I took the basically the full responsibility by the time she was five years old. I was I was taking her to kindergarten. I remember the first day of kindergarten, I brought her. I was actually wearing a Marbury jersey on her first day, a very baggy one, by the way, because that was the style in 2004. And then when she was 10 years old, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And that brain cancer was a really bad one. But the doctor said, hey, if we do this and we do that, we can beat this. And sure enough, two years later, when she was 12, she was cancer free. She beat it. She never complained, was a straight gangster through it all, man. And then she was in remission for seven years. But there was always struggles. You know, I always say this joking around where if she sneezed the wrong way, you know, you had to call the doctors and be like, hey, G sneezed better the wrong way. Better get her in for an MRI because it was always a little something. But she was in remission for seven years. And then on the morning of October 14th, 2019, she woke me up in the middle of the night and she said, and it was just her and I that lived together. Uh, and she said, Aunt, I feel funny. And I'm like, and now it's four in the morning. I'm kind of grumpy. I'm like, okay, G, like, I don't know what you mean. She's like, can we go to urgent care? And I said, I don't think urgent care is open, but if you feel weird in a few hours, I'll gladly take you. She's like, okay, cool. But she walked to my bedroom, mind you. And then a few minutes later, she calls my phone because I was just in a deep sleep. And she's like, Aunt, I can't get out of bed. So I jump up and I'm like, get up, get up. And she's like, I can't. So I called 911 right away, and sure enough, she was having a stroke. And we got to the hospital by like 5, 6 a.m. By 8 in the morning, they put her in brain surgery because the bleeding wouldn't stop. And then uh, she woke up a few days later, and of course, we were hoping it was just a stroke. And mind you, she did no drugs. She didn't drink. I think she drank a beer at my birthday the year before, and that was badass for her. And, you know, 10 days later, they did an MRI in her brain, and they found an uncurable cancer called glioblastoma, which the cancer basically came in so strong, it blew up in her brain. Because in July of 2019, she had one of her regular MRIs, and the cancer was not there. This stuff came in so ferociously, it blew up in her brain, and nobody's ever beat glioblastoma. And they even gave us the option to not fight it, but we fought it. And, you know, there was a point in December 2019, and I know JYD will appreciate this as a real hard, gritty basketball player, where G was doing chemo, radiation, and physical therapy to learn to walk again. And she never complained once. She never complained. All she cared about was what's for dinner. And, you know, we, we still went to a bunch of Nick games when she was in the rehab center and we went to concerts. The garden hooked us up with a suite to see Cher. G was an old soul, so she loved Cher and Cindy Lauper and stuff like that. And we lived every day until the end. We never talked about death. We just, we, we lived, we enjoyed each other. 
And then, you know, she passed on August 29th. And, you know, my life's been a 180 since. And this year's Knicks season has been so important because the Knicks, have, you know, nothing's going to take away my pain of losing my world. But the, this Knicks season has literally saved my life. You know, and, and so many fans, man, that stopped me even when they opened back in February. And there's nothing like the human interaction, the human touch. Fans have, you know, supported G through social media all year. Obviously, the games last year, they always stopped me. But this year, it's been incredible. And even last night, so many people stopped me about G. But there was one fan specifically that stopped me outside in the street, came up from behind me. And he didn't even say his name. He was like, she's here right now. She's with us. Someone I didn't even know. They've just people have just been so inspired by her and her just her resiliency and never quitting. She never quit, man. She was so that's tough. Dog pound, and that's dog pound. Get in there and still grind it out, man. Rest in peace forever. You know, shout out to your family, especially to you, man, oh, for you. doing what you did throughout all that time. You know, I know she really, truly appreciates you. Incredible what you were able to do and the life that you were able to give her. It's just a heartbreaking story. And, you know, I, I love the point that you made about the Knicks, where not only would you take her to games and you guys could have fun and live through the Knicks and have that excitement, but, you know, now for you, that becomes a therapy, right? You're going to the garden, the Knicks Amen. being good. Keeps you. It's something. I mean, that's what sports is supposed to be—a healthy yeah. distraction from the troubles that we have in life, the harsh realities. And, and you know, fewer are harsher than that. I mean, that it's a heartbreaking story to hear. But now you have Ant, your Knicks here, and you know that Gianna would be happy, of course. And, and you know, you see them doing well here. That's got to be great for you and give you something to try to keep your mind, you know, occupied and give you some entertainment and some fun here through difficult times. No, of course. Going, you know, obviously, I don't watch the news and COVID stuff every day, so I wasn't sure that we were even going to get allowed fans this year. And sure enough, they opened in February and I haven't missed the home game since. And being back in the garden, it, you're right. It's so therapeutic and people stop me every game about G. And like I said before, there's nothing like human touch and the human interaction. And she left a legacy that you know, will last forever. Where one, as one of my friends said, you could live till you're 90 and be an awesome person, but maybe you never left a legacy. She lived 21 years and she's going to, I'm going to be, people are going to bring her up every day because of the life she lived and how tough she was. And it's a credit to you too, for obviously bringing her up and all that you did. I mean, that, that is just a remarkable job. That, that takes a special person to do that. So don't tell yourself short, you deserve some credit. You know, one thing I was always curious about, Ant, take me through the start of it. Like you have season tickets, I'm assuming. Where did that start? Yeah, or? Well, well, the, the season tickets, I mean, I, you know, you could, you could talk about the beginning of the Nick fan fine but the you're not just a Nick fan I mean so I you know I would consider myself somebody who was a Nick fan your next level stuff I want to know how it started I mean you got memorabilia all over we've seen the commercials I noticed a picture with you and Richter so I'm, I'm fascinated by it the wall you showing us the picture of the wall of all these celebrities that you're taking pictures with you reached that next level you blew past just fan and became this super fan and now you're known for being that super fan you're known at the garden you mentioned you know talking to Leon Rose fans don't get to do that media members don't even get a chance to talk to leon rose i want to know where that started to take off and really how you got the season tickets was that a family thing how, how were you how did you become a season ticket holder? that's a great question so my family my uncle's a knicks fan my mom's a knicks fan but they were more into the the, the giants the yankees the rangers so I, I got into the knicks when i was nine i started going to games when i was 10 and i loved going to yankee stadium i loved watching the rangers and never really went to football games too much but the knicks there was just nothing like it and then I started going a lot. I lived three hours away from ages 8 to 17 in the Catskills. So I'd go about five, 10 times a year with my uncle. And then when I was 17, I moved back to the city in 2001. I started just going to every game, just by myself sometimes. I would just get one ticket on Ticketmaster. 
I went to opening night in 2001 when Michael Jordan came back with the Wizards. That was my second straight home opener. I think my streak is at 20 now. By the time I got to the age of 20, which was JYD's first year at the Knicks, the 0405 season, mm. that season, that was my first year with season tickets. Um, See what I'm talking about? The dog pound brought in the super fans. That's it. And uh, opening night that year at home, we lost by like 80. That was great. On a Saturday night versus Boston. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's like we was a dog pound that night. Yeah. You probably should have started that night. I didn't start that night. That was was Tim Thomas and Kirk. (laughs) Yes, it was. The Thomas boys were at 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 the three and four, respectfully. So by 04, I was almost at every game the first two years. And I started to get to know people security guards, ushers, people that work for the team. But I also started interning at 1050 ESPN Radio. And I was working with Brandon Tierney and Michael Kay, you know, Bill Daughtry, all those guys, Don LaGreca. And then I was helping out BT for the Knicks pre and post game shows for the 05, 06, yeah, the Larry Brown season, the 05, 06 season. So I was around the gardens. I had season tickets, but I was around so much. And I guess me being the personable, likable person I am, at least I think I am, I got to know a lot of different people. And then I got really cool people that work for the organization and then i started my own nick show in 2009 with sny i didn't get paid for it at first they just said here's the platform see what you could do and i was having guests on like you know john starks and alan houston wilson chandler jadakiss i even had spike lee on for an hour one time and i was killing it and then all of a sudden i started to get even more known and more known and now when i go to the garden i mean i can't really walk more than two minutes in the concourse without fans stopping me and asking me for photos and tell me how much they love my work. And of course, G, G as well. But my work, I mean, I, I feel like I changed it. Now there's so many fans that do content. And I remember when I was an intern at ESPN Radio in 0405, they said, you cannot be a fan and be in this business. And I'm like, I think you can. Now, granted, if I was covering a game, I'm not going to go in the locker room in my jersey and be like, you know, interview a player but I think you can be a fan and do this and also if you have to be talented as well so I think I'm good at you know putting out shows interviewing people and it just really just blew up and it was all organic I remember at first like in 2009 2010 on Twitter people would be like is this guy like James Dolan's nephew or something like joking around I remember I got a tweet like that and it was no it was just all just organic I had no connections to the garden other than just loving it and just being personable and being around and that's kind of how like I guess you could say the legend of Anthony MSG started around then. And now, you know, I'm, I'm just so blessed and so lucky. I get treated so well at the Garden. Like, I remember I got cool with Walt Frazier in like 04, 05. I've known Mike Breen since 1999, personally. I remember I asked Mike Breen to sign a hat for me in 1999, uh, early in the 99-2000 season. I'll never forget Mike said, what's your name? I'm like, did Mike Breen just ask me my name? And I said, my name, Anthony. And he signed the hat to Anthony. And like Mike and I have been cool ever since. I remember I was doing a show in Long Island in 2005 where I paid for the airtime. Same some- station as me, WGBB, right? Well, no, this one first, that was my second one. The first one was 540 WLIE in oh, Deer Park. Yes. The signal did not leave the parking lot. Yep. <laughs> but thankfully, they did have streaming. And the first guest <laughs> I ever had on that show was John Starks. And, you know, Mike Breen called in, Gus Johnson called in, of course, BT and Don. Michael K called in. So I've just kind of like done my done it my own way. 
It's been totally unconventional. Can't say it would work for everybody, but it somewhat worked for me. Now I got a little show on MSG Network. There was an episode out with Quentin Richardson and I. Got one coming out soon with Derek Harper and I. And it's just, it's been all organic and fun and, you know, really different. Now, will you be going to, will you you travel? How, How many times over the years have you gone on the road? Will you plan on going on the road to see the Knicks maybe in Atlanta or if they if they go to Philadelphia, which would be an easier trip? What, what are your uh, what's your travel plans, or have you done that in the past? Oh, I have, of course. So I have not watched the Nick game on TV in a month. I was at the game in Phoenix in LA, both games in LA. I came home, went to the three games at the Garden, and I've been at the two playoff games. I thought about going to Atlanta tomorrow, but I'm gonna have some people at the crib and watch the game. I just, you know. I'm, Things you know, things are expensive. I'm sure I could probably get some tickets for free, but I don't want to. Didn't want to ask anybody. The flight is cheap. I looked up flights, hundred and thirty dollars round trip. I'm gonna have some friends over at the crib tomorrow night. We're gonna get some dinner from Carlo's restaurant in Yonkers, my favorite Italian restaurant. Pete Rock is coming to the crib tomorrow. Legendary hip hop producer. Pete Rock. He's oh, coming to the crib. You <laughs> legendary man. You got Pete Rock and CL. Where's CL Smooth at? Yeah, so I'm gonna have a nice little get together at the crib tomorrow night. And I got a shout out before we let him go. New York Pizza Suprema, Ant's favorite spot. I tried it before the game as my pregame meal last night, and it was delicious. So in my top it, so ten. Your first time 10. there, you put it up there at the top already. In the top five to ten, I would need a couple okay. more in different slices. But you know, I'm from New York, so I mean, it's hard I'm to be in the top five. But where is top, this? Top five. Where, where is this? It's right next to the Garden, 31st and 8th, right there. It's so close. I mean, you enter. And it was right there, there before the garden was there, actually. So they got really lucky in the, from a location standpoint. I don't think I've ever heard of this before. Maybe I have and just didn't wasn't aware yeah, that it was like a, it, a famous so. spot. Pizza Suprema, that's what it's called? Yeah, it opened in 1964. Wow. NY, NY Pizza Suprema. It's right in the corner, the like, gate B entrance, diagonal. It's, it's right there. And You're known for the sauce. The sauce is incredible. I just wanted to say, fans that go to games, act better. Act better. Come on, man. And I tweeted this. There's not a fan in the world that roots for a team harder than I root for the Knicks. And I've been going to Knicks games since I was 10. All I do is root, boo, and chant. I mean, like, come on, guys. Spitting on players, pouring popcorn on an injured player. Why? You can go root and chant and have fun. It's very disturbing. I had a problem with the, I was saying this before when we started the show, with the FU Trey Young chant out of nowhere. Like, I could see if Trey Young did something that would bother It was bother. silly. I mean, it was weird. It was the, silly. The, well, well, you could boom. I have no problem with that. You could get on him. Even the balding stuff, whatever. That's fine. But the vulgarity, and that, that's not something. But at least that's not, but that's nothing compared to dropping popcorn on a player or spitting on somebody. Who chance, spit on somebody? You know, I, I missed that. I saw the popcorn. I guess that happened through. during the – I didn't know till this morning. I guess that happened during the game. Somebody spit on Trey Young. Yeah, that's – I mean, come on. That's not – I mean, Flying Lugie. I don't know if it's going to be like a Keith Hernandez thing like on Seinfeld. Yeah, well, I don't know if they got the person, but you see like the Lugie in the air. Oh, God. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Oh, come on, man. So people got to act better, man. Let's Go clean that up, New York. Root your ass off, but you don't got to do all that. It's yeah. stupid. I don't mind booing. I had a problem, and obviously oh, that's the next level. Booing, chance, whatever, but, like, come on, man. You, you, you don't got There's enough spit flying when you're just cheering in general. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Especially Maybe now. that's what happened. Maybe that's what happened. 
Especially now with COVID and all that stuff. Terrible. All right. Well, a a pleasure to catch up with Nick Superfan, Anthony Donahue. I I know I've had you on, you know, the radio years back. Uh, This is great to be able to talk to you on this Knicks podcast here, especially under these circumstances where it's been far too long. Hopefully now, you know, I've been saying this, hopefully now we've turned the corner and this is the building block. The first year in, let's say, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years in a row again, like the 90s, where they're a perennial playoff contender at the very least. So, and good look, let's go. Go next year. The rest of the way, this is going to be great. Hopefully, there's there's a, at the very least a round two. Keep doing your thing, and you know, win for Gianna. It's great to continue to do that as well. Good luck with the MSG show and all the projects that you have. We appreciate the few minutes. Appreciate you, Ant. You got it, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Sal. Thanks, JYD. That does it for us for episode 47 of Big Apple Buckets, our Knicks podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown, Brian Mungia for producing the show. Give Big Apple Buckets a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. For JYD, Jerome Williams, I'm Sal Akata. We'll be back Monday next week after game four in Atlanta on Sunday before the Knicks return home for game five on Wednesday. Buckle up, New York. Let's go, Knicks.